0: Good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning. All right, I gotta get lined up in the middle, otherwise I can't do my thing. <laughs> Anybody else <laughs> relate to that? Man, it's so good to see you guys today. How many of you uh, battled some ice to get here today? Anybody? Yeah. We we all went out to get in our car this morning because we were coming in early because to first service because we love Jesus. And um, <laughs> just kidding. We don't. I'm not kidding about loving Jesus. We do love Jesus, but. We went out to the car, you know, it was like, cuckoo, cuckoo, you know, and so we all went back inside. Our dog was like, all right, you're back, you know, no, we're not, we're going to leave you again, but uh, we couldn't get, get through the ice. Eventually we made it. Man, it's so good to see you guys today. We're going to jump into the word and uh, jump into the message today, but before we do that, I think it's important, you know, there are times where the congregation just has to come together in prayer over important issues, and so I just want to call our attention to the fact that the 49ers have an opportunity to go to the Super Bowl and, um, uh, if we could just all just, you know, bow our heads and hearts in prayer and seek the Lord. I'm just kidding. Um, I know that God honors righteous cities, cities that are known as shining lights of the kingdom of God, like San Francisco, you know, just really, uh, I'm just having fun. Anyways, um, go Niners. Uh, I've been getting some texts and things from Seahawks fans. <laughs> no, uh, you shouldn't clap for yourselves. You lost. Um <laughs> I do realize this is the 21st century and everybody gets a gold star on their paper, whether you actually did the work or not, but um, 49ers fans, along with most of the other teams, you got your, or sorry, Seahawks fans, you have to just wait for next year, okay? So yeah, yeah, you'll be back, you'll be back, seven and eight, you know, you'll be back. <laughs> All right, anyways, jumping in, having fun, I'm a little salty, I had a Clif Bar peanut butter in between services, so now I'm feeling good you know, got the blood sugar up, all that. So uh, excited to jump in. Anyways, we're going we're gonna to move forward in our series on rocket fuel, talking about being, uh, having our lives fueled with the presence of God. As a church, we are directed and sustained by the presence of God. From day one, we said we're not going to be a church that is just strategized into existence, you know, that uh, figures out how to put on the best show, all that kind of stuff. We started off 20, Uh, about 20 of us in a living room in South Eugene, just saying, God, we we want what you want for this city. And uh, we're just going to continue to follow you. We're directed and sustained by the presence of God. And so as it is in our church, it needs to be that way in our own lives, and our own hearts. One of the things I love about all of you and and this church family, this church uh, congregation, is that we we care about God's presence. Um, Man, this is not a church that's perfect. Uh, Believe me, you know, when people are like, I think this is the greatest church. I'm like, I know a lot about this church. I know the pastors and, you know, let me tell you some stories, you know. But uh, we might not be perfect. We, we might not do everything the, the right way all the time or have the right words for every moment. But what we do care about God's presence and honoring the presence of God. And when we connect with God's presence, we're connecting uh, to that source of life and strength and fulfillment that we were designed to operate on. Um, you know, when, when we're disconnected from God, we are We're not being fueled properly. And that's why in life when we pursue sinful things, uh, when we pursue human endeavors to do things, you know, I grew up in church, so we say it like this. When you do things in the flesh, right, we pursue our own agenda, our own way. We think we're going to find life. We think we're going to find fulfillment, and we don't. Uh, And that's really the human story across thousands of years. But when we connect with Christ, we find that, like he said, if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When we connect with Christ, we find life for our souls. That even if our physical bodies die, even as we go through sacrifice, surrender, submission in life, the difficulties of being a Christian, because it's not all sunshine and roses, right? It's not. Um, But we find life in Christ for now and for eternal life that we will have with him forever. So anyways, we're talking about being filled with the presence of God. And, And as a part of that, we're talking about the spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines that lead us to that interactive, dynamic relationship with God. But here's something you've got to understand. I'm talking about this every week, uh, but I think it's important to know. God is much more interested in a relationship with you and I than we could ever be with Him. The story of Christianity is really kind of an inverted, upside-down religion. If you study religions and philosophies and things, they generally all have the same type of a, of a story that, that they tell, which is if you will go through the right steps— If you will do these things and not do these other things, then you can make yourself pleasing, pleasant, or acceptable to pick your deity of choice, okay? Or pick your outcome of choice. But Christianity says something very different. It says you are incapable of getting to heaven. You are incapable of having a relationship with God. And so God is the one that climbed down the ladder. God is the one that came down in Jesus Christ and gave himself as a sacrifice for us. And by accepting that fact in humility and giving our lives to him, we receive what he did. So in Christianity, when we, you know, rip open our shirt, we're not the one wearing Superman outfit underneath. It's Jesus, right? And that's the story of Christianity. Understanding that when you look at the cross of Christ, we have to say, man, that sign of Jesus there bridging the gap between heaven and earth as his body was broken, he was restoring our capacity and our ability to have relationship with God. It's a beautiful thing. God is more interested In relationship with us than we could ever be in relationship with Him, and I lean on that fact on a daily basis. I rest on that because my my relationship with God is not based on my effort, my my perfection, my holiness, my own self-directed sanctification. It is based in faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave Himself for me, Amen, and for you. So God wants relationship with us. So as we talk about these spiritual disciplines and practices, we're not trying to add to what Christ has done. What we're saying is. Throughout time, Christians, for the last couple thousand years, have developed these really important practices uh, that are like doorways and and openings to connect with God. They're good practices. Last week, we started a, a few message series on hearing the voice of God. How many of you want to hear the voice of God? Last week, I talked about the reasons that we don't hear God's voice. Some of the things that get in the way stop us from hearing God's voice. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that if you want to hear those. Uh, but today I'm going to talk about some of the practical ways that we, we, do, we can hear God, how we do that. It's not going to be exhaustive, but hopefully there'll be something there for everybody to, to take away, uh, and some of the truths about hearing God. But I know for me growing up, I, I grew up in church, uh, I'm a pastor's kid, um, and I turned out okay, I guess, because I've met a lot of other pastor's kids, and they usually are pretty messy, and I guess I am too. But anyways, <clears throat> uh, I grew up in church, and I would always hear these stories you know, the preacher stories or, or these really holy kind of super Christians, how they would hear God. And maybe you can relate to this, you know, people would, would say things like, yeah, I prayed and God spoke to me and he told me to do X, Y, Z and I did it and, and then it's, everything works out, you know, and it sounds really cool. And I used to think about these Christians like they had a special hotline right to God, you know, it was the red phone, boom, they just grab it, hey, is this, this the creator of heaven and earth? Hey, it's, it's Robert, you know. And I uh, just wanted to let you ask you <laughs> a question. And God's like, yeah, this is what you need to do. And then Robert would be like, thanks, God. Click. And then Robert would tell everybody else how awesome Robert is. So anyways, you'd hear this story about hearing God. And I, I would be simultaneously encouraged and discouraged by that. Because what I would take away from that was some, somebody has something with God that I don't have. Um, and I wasn't mad at that person. I wasn't thinking, you know, they're... They're doing something wrong. If anything, I was thinking I'm, I'm inadequate or I, I, haven't, I haven't learned enough or I don't know enough. And I was missing the truth of hearing God's voice because I was equating it to these, these kinds of stories and putting it in a box thinking that it meant something that it didn't. Now, not to disparage anybody's stories. I'll tell you stories today about how I've heard the voice of God. I don't mean to disparage the stories of how people communicate that they've heard God. But what I would say is we need to take it with a grain of salt because God speaks in a myriad of ways. He speaks in so many different ways, uh, and he even will speak uniquely to you in different ways. Now, ultimately, we know he speaks through the scripture. That is the the thing we know this is what God has spoken, this is what he said, it is settled, it's final, this is how we tune the radio of our spirit to hear God's voice, but we do believe in a God that is alive and and dynamic and interactive, that he speaks to us even in our day-to-day life. And so God will speak to us in a myriad of different ways, and we'll look at that today. But as I would hear people tell these stories, I would feel kind of like a defective Christian. And here's what what I had to come to. And this is what I want to lead us to today. And we'll launch off from this. That you and I, because we are made in the image of God, because we are lovingly crafted and designed, we were made intrinsically designed and crafted this way. Are you with me? You're like, finish the sentence. (laughs) We were made to hear God. We were designed to hear God. It's not something you have to strive to do. It's something that you can do because God made you. Adam and Eve, as they were in the garden, they walked and talked with God. That was the original intent of creation. Now, sin has severed our relationship with God. We know that. We know there is a language barrier, or I would call this a, uh, an ontological barrier in that, or an existential barrier, in that we are very different than God, right? How, have you, you know, I don't think I'm God. You know what I'm saying? Do you, anybody else here have any, any ideas about that? Okay, we, don't, we know we're not God, but we, we are flesh and blood. We're human beings. We're different than God. He is spirit. He's perfect. He's perfect holiness. Like there's a, there's a difference between us and God, and that creates somewhat of a barrier. But I think the real thing that stops us from hearing God has less to do with that difference between our nature and God's nature and more to do with the fact that we need to tune in and hear what he's already speaking and what he's already saying. But we were made to hear God. Jesus said this. He said, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. It's saying they do. This is something that happens when you are a sheep. We just got a new dog named Cricket, and she feels just like a sheep to me. I don't really have a lot of experience with sheep, but in my mind, what a sheep feels like, right, babe? She kind of feels like a sheep. She's got that fluffy, you know, sheepness to her, Uh, and 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 so I've been thinking a lot about sheep. And and the thing about sheep is it's not really up to them. When the shepherd starts to talk, they hear it because they're there. You know what I mean? It's less about the sheep's ability, the sheep's capacity, the sheep's spirituality. It's more so about when the shepherd is speaking. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. I'm I'm grateful that in the Christian story, it's more about the God that knows me than, than me that knows God. Because if I was leaning on my ability to know God, my ability to understand God, my ability to connect with God, I'm pretty fickle and changeable in my emotions, in my my feelings, all of it. But it's about him knowing us and I know them and they follow me. Just speaking of a relationship and a relationship of obedience and connectedness. Hearing God is about relationship. It's about an ongoing conversation. Last week I talked about sort of the two aspects of hearing God. There's the first aspect of hearing God is about relationship. The second, and what I feel to actually be less important, is the, the, the aspect of guidance. And what's interesting is when we talk about hearing God, often what we are concerned with as human beings is that God would tell us what to do when we want to know what we should do. But what God is more concerned with is having a relationship with you that looks like you ending up looking more like Jesus Christ. Good. So we're kind of at different ends, aren't we? Because we go, God, I want you to speak to me. I want to hear your voice. And I'm not even saying that's a bad thing to want, because I do too. God, tell me what to do. I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to go left when I should go right. I don't want to be a Huskies fan when I should be a Ducks fan. Just hear the word of the Lord and change. You know, repent. I don't want to be a Seahawks fan when I could be a Niners fan. You know, you can just jump right on the bandwagon today, my friends. No, God, I don't want to be, I don't want to follow you incorrectly. I don't want to miss you. Uh, I want to be guided. I want to know what you want me to do. It's not even a bad impulse. But God, what he wants to do is raise you up so that you make good decisions from the character that is formed in you of Christ. You see, God's purpose in creating humans was not to have people that did exactly what he wanted them to do. And you go, isn't that what he wanted? No. God wanted to create people that, that did what God wanted them to do because they also wanted to do those things. That's a difference, right? It's the difference between saying to your kids, obey me because I am your father. And if you don't go to bed right now, I will take away your Nintendo. It's, it's like so oddly specific. It's almost as if we've had this conversation at our home this week. Yes, you will do the dishes or you will not live here anymore. We will send you to Siberia. You know, they don't know that we can't do that. But, you know, it's these kind of threats that we make. And, and yes, I, I'm glad when my children obey out of duty. I'm glad when they obey out of fear. I'm glad when they obey out of holy reverence for their father and mother, Jake and Bethany, who art in Eugene. You know, I'm glad for that, but what I desire ultimately is that when the scaffolding of my parentage, the scaffolding around their character that's being formed is gone, that the imprint of righteousness and good decision-making would remain. And this is the salient point, that God is more concerned with forming your character than giving you the answers to the test. Which means he's more concerned with keeping that relationship open, that pipeline open, where even sometimes he doesn't even tell you what you should do because what he wants you to do is make decisions from the Christ-formed character on the inside of you. And so the two aspects of relationship and guidance, God is more interested in relationship, but in that he does provide guidance to us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As long as we understand, like what Dallas Willard said, that hearing God is but one dimension of a richly interactive relationship and obtaining guidance is but one facet of hearing God. So let's talk about three truths about hearing God today. Last week, again, we did the first part of this message. Why don't I hear God? What are some obstacles? Go back and check that out. But today, let's talk about the truth about hearing God. Number one, because God loves you, he will guide you. When it comes to relationship, the most, I don't know if I'd say it's the most important, but it's up there. One of the most important things about a relationship is trust. And believing in and trusting the character of the other party in a relationship. Uh, Bethany and I, in our marriage, we have a, we have a really good marriage. Um, and we've worked hard on it. Because when we started in 2007, um, we loved each other a lot. But we didn't communicate very well. And we fought a lot. A lot of people are like, oh, remember the first year of marriage? It was so wonderful. And for us, it was like, you get your gloves on today? All right. You know, verbally. You know, you know just... We just came from different communication styles, different family backgrounds, uh, you know, different things. And we had our own, both of us are leaders, you know, so we had our own, you know, thing we wanted to do. And it just, it it was sort of uh, an issue. But, But one of the things that really messes marriages up, messes up relationships, is when you start to say, you did this and this is why. When you start to dig, not into the action itself, but into the motive, right, this person, cut me off on the freeway, and they liked it. <laughs> they thought they were Mario Andretti out there, and all they were was Karen in a minivan, you know? <laughs> and we start to ascribe motives, and we start, to, we start to disparage, perhaps even unintentionally, the character of the other person by digging into motivations or trying to, uh, to kind of have both sides of the argument figured out in your own head. So then when the other person says, hey, I didn't actually mean it that way, we go, yes, you did. Hey, this wasn't exactly the way that I, that I what, this isn't what I'm trying to convey or let me add some, some context to that statement or I did mean it that way and I'm sorry, you know, whatever that looks like. We begin to deal with the character of the other person. Now I want you to think about when we talk about taking that overlay and apply it over our relationship with God, that many times we have placed this idea about hearing God We have our own perspectives of what God should do and when he should do it and how he should do it and how he speaks and when he speaks and why he speaks. And what we step into is we begin to disparage the character of God because God didn't move or speak in the way that we thought or wanted him to or on our terms or in our timing. And so when it comes to guidance, we go, God, I'm asking you a question. I prayed 30 seconds ago. You didn't answer me. You must not love me. God, you didn't answer uh, if I'm supposed to go right or left. And so the only explanation is I'm a defective Christian. And we're like, that's not right. We're missing it. If we're stepping into disparaging, disparaging God's character, any of that, we're missing something. Let me tell you a story that happened to me. So uh, when, when Bethany and I were getting married, I loved her very much. We were engaged. This is 2007-2007. Uh, but I, I take marriage very seriously. I'd grown up hearing, you know, you honor your wedding vows, that it matters. It's to death do us part. It's like a, it's like a you know, Spartacus thing or gladiators, you know, to death do us part when you do a wedding and, and you make these vows. Um, I, I, for one, think people today could take marriage more seriously. Uh, to me, if you stand up in a tuxedo and you promise somebody something before God, you better be ready to do it. Does anybody else agree with that or is that just me? I mean, I'm comfortable to be alone on it. I'm just, I'm not going to change. I just believe that, that marriage matters if we took it more seriously. So anyways, but I took it very seriously. So here we are, I'm getting ready to get married and I had very cold feet, Uh, not because I didn't have feelings, not because I didn't love Bethany. It was just, I take it very seriously. This is a lifelong commitment. And so I was doing this thing and it wasn't super nice. I kept saying, if we get married. And she didn't love that because it was a week from our wedding day. <coughs> and so I'm saying, if we get married, if we get married, if we get married. And, and one day she said, Jake, um, it kind of needs to be when we get married or, uh, or it's going to be when I kill you. You know, like, <laughs> basically, you, you need to stop that. She said it in a very nice way. And I said, OK, I, I understand. But I was, I was nervous and I, and I was I was in a little bit of spiritual confusion here because I'm praying, you know, to God, God, give me a sign, like be clear. And he'd given me so many signs. How many of you know, sometimes when you feel confused, you're driving by and it's like giant billboards, giant billboards, but you're like, please give me a sign. And you're ignoring (laughs) all the signs. So God had spoken to me. God had led me to this moment, but I was, I was living in what I, I deal with. And I'll talk about this later, but one of my kind of besetting sins is I'm a worry war. I let fear kind of get into me and, I, and I, then fear leads me to want to control things and so on and so forth. And so I, I wanted certainty and God wanted to develop character difference, right? I wanted certainty that this is the exact right answer to the test so I could check the box and God was saying, I'm giving you enough to take a step of faith. I'm not going to make the step for you, Okay because he's raising a son, not trying to create a robot, okay? Very different. So here I am, I'm saying, if we get married, if we get married, and she says, that's not going to work. So I go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to figure it out. So I go home, uh, I went upstairs, I was talking to my mom, and how many of you know God speaks through moms? <laughs> you know, it's like they say, behind every great man is a, a mother-in-law rolling her eyes, you know? It's, <laughs> but moms, uh, they... They, they, they really are a, vo- a mouthpiece for God, I believe. Uh, so listen to your mothers, okay? Even if you're grown. Especially if you're grown. Listen to your mothers. Respect them. Honor them. So my mom says to me, as I'm wrestling through this question, she says, Jake, God won't let you drive off a cliff. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. Because in the context of our conversation and of our relationship and of what I know of God and God's character, because I'm not coming into this story as like, this is the first time I've ever heard God. I was realizing what I've done here is I've set up a scenario where I've put God's character on trial rather than me being on trial of whether I'm going to trust him or not. Is that I've set up God where if I don't have perfect certainty in this decision, then he's not good or, you know, or I can't step forward. And really that's not, it's, Fair isn't even the right word, but it's not right. It's not right for me to do that because he has led me to this moment. And what she was saying is, do you trust God? Do you trust his goodness? Do you trust his faithfulness that in this moment with the, the council around you and the people around you and what you believe and feel that God has actually spoken to you and led you to this moment, but he's not going to be the one that marries Bethany. You're going to do it. But God's not going to just let you drive off a cliff. And this is where we come to the character of God because how often do we think of God? And if we were honest in the way that we sort of think in our deep thoughts, we see God as kind of capricious. We see God as kind, of, as kind of wanting to trick you, like he's the bad guy with the black hat and the black mustache that looks a little bit like me in the old West movies. He's going to tie you to the railroad tracks. <laughs> he's setting up dynamite, you know, along the stagecoach route, and he's going to get you. And, and you're always sort of waiting for God to trick you or, or manipulate you or get you. And that's kind of how we see God, as if he knows the bridge is out And you absolutely shouldn't go this way. But he's just sort of hiding in his cosmic uh, obfuscation. You know, he's he's so mystical and above it all that he's just going to let you make these totally life-altering decisions. And I realized, oh, I am disparaging the character of God. Because I'm not living in trust. I'm not living in humility. I'm not living in an awareness of the goodness of God that has been with me since the day I was born to the day at this point that I was 22 years old and then even now to this day. I'm not believing that God is a loving Father. And this is really at the root of a lot of our problems, is that we simply, it's not about having faith about these grand things, it's about having faith in the simple fact that God loves you. Think about that. Just the simple fact that God loves you. And if He loves you, wouldn't you think that God, who I find to be, at least several orders of magnitude, more intelligent than I, (laughs) more sophisticated. He's he's a lot better at seeing the future than I am and all of these kinds of things, that he is actually holding my days and, and my life in his hands. And that if I'm walking with him and tuned into him, that he is going to speak to me if he wants. If he wants to say left or right, and if he doesn't say left or right, it's not because he's not good. It might be because it's my choice. And it might be because he's not going to take the step for me. Maybe he's led me to the moment, but I'm the one that has to go ahead and take the swing at the bat, at the plate. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you earthly fathers, you sinful fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children. He says, fathers, if your son comes to you and asks you for a piece of bread, will you give him a stone? If your son comes and asks for a fish, are you going to give him a snake? Now, some of you dads would because you're naughty, but... But he says, you sinful earthly fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children. He says, how much more so your heavenly father will he give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? God knows how to give you good gifts. Because God loves you, he will guide you. So in those words that my mom gave me, God won't let you drive off a cliff. Here's what I heard. I heard God speak to me. Son, I've brought you to this place. Son, I've led you to this moment. Son, I've prepared your character. Son, I've prepared the character of your bride. Son, I've brought you to this moment in life. Is there danger? Is there risk? Is there adventure? Is there uncertainty? Absolutely. That's what makes life worth living. That's where the formation of Christ-like character is going to happen. Because see, if God showed me the first year of our marriage, how we almost called it off two weeks in in Ireland because we we were so tired and crazy and disoriented in our heads and I was being such a jerk, and Bethany literally was thinking, have I made a mistake? Have I made a mistake? And two prophets came to this place and they said directly, they're like, Jake and Bethany, come up here, sit here. Uh, You haven't made a mistake. Is that you, God? (laughs) You know? (laughs) They said, you guys are like the big gear and the little gear. That if you're off, it's really bad. But when you're on, good things happen. One of you is like the horse. One of you is like the cart. You got to work together, you know? And we had to hear God. But if he had shown me the whole road, I might have opted out. Does that make sense? I'm not saying I would have. I'm just saying Maybe. What God did was he, gives, he gave me enough light for me to take the next Christ-formational decision and next step in the journey, okay? Because God loves you, he will guide you. But see, again, it's trusting in the character and the nature of God. Number two, you don't miss God by accident, only on purpose. Let me just get this idea out of your head, take it away from you if I can, that God, again, is sort of capricious and, and laughing at you and snickering because he, he tricked you and you missed the turn you were supposed to take. You know, you were supposed to get off at this exit, but you just kept driving to the bridge that was out. No. Um, God, he speaks clearly. Uh, he speaks in a bunch of different ways, which we'll talk about, but he does speak clearly and we don't miss him by accident. We only miss him on purpose. And here's what I mean. When we engage in sin, self-will, selfishness, what does that do? It blinds us from seeing God's purposes and guidance. Because if you think about it, what God's trying to do is form in you the same desires he has. God doesn't want me to not just murder people. He wants me not to want to murder people. Um, and so when I want to murder people, <laughs> which in case anyone's wondering, is not a very common, you know, thing. But when anger is in my heart, when wrath is bubbling out and all of that, it's, it's actually concealing and, and, and obfuscating the clarity of what God is, is up to and doing. And so those things, when I'm living in that, that way, when I'm in sin, unrepentant sin, when I'm, when I'm living in self-directed life, when I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, it doesn't really matter what God or anyone else says. Uh, when I'm in that form of life, when I'm living selfishly for myself, and I'm not talking about being a human being who is sinful and flawed and a work in progress. I'm talking about when I know that I'm supposed to not be doing this, but I'm gonna continue doing it, but I still want God's blessing, and I still wanna hear him you're living in cognitive dissonance, okay? This is what's happening. That's what I'm describing here. Those things don't happen by accident. You don't accidentally decide on a Tuesday morning to wake up and just be completely a prideful jerk and just, and just knowingly destroy relationships and hurt people and live selfishly and live greedy and oppress people and abuse and, and do that. You don't just wake up on a, on a Thursday and and it's like, well, I, I, fe- I accidentally decided to create my whole business to, to just completely be built on the backs of people that I'm oppressing. I, you don't just accidentally wake up one day and just like, I guess I, I fell into just being abusive in my words towards my wife and being unkind and, ho- and hostile. No, you, you choose those things. You develop those things. You cultivate those things. Those are the fruits of seeds that you planted a long time ago that you've continued to feed, that you've continued to water, that now have grown, and those things get in the way of God's guidance in your life. But oh, the beauty of the cross and the grace of God that when you cry out to him, he comes in like the heavenly gardener and begins to rip weeds out of the garden of your life so he can get his voice to you and speak to you. I mean, how beautiful our God that when we repent, he just comes in like a hurricane and just wipes all that out. And we can hear his voice again. It's interesting to me that some of the times we hear God the clearest are in our times of crisis and suffering. Why is that? Perhaps because there is no artifice that's now built upon the place that allows us to hear him. It's like all of the illusion of safety, all of the illusion of self-directed life, and all of the illusion of wealth, and all the illusion of health, or whatever it is, is sort of out of the way. And so when you're kind of naked before him, your ears work really good. But... What if we didn't have to always only hear God when we were in abject suffering? And we don't, but we don't miss God by accident, only on purpose. And that's something I think that's important to know. And again, it's rooted in the character of God. If you're wanting to hear, if you're living in humility and you're saying, God, I'm listening, I'm, I'm, I'm aware, I'm at least quiet and aware that you could be speaking, he's, you're not gonna miss him because he's not, he's not trying to let you fall into traps. In fact, he's watching out for you and helping you. I just read a story about a man uh, this morning, I was reading this story, that he, uh, he, had, he had been developing and cultivating the, the ability to just hear God's voice, just, just really wanting to hear God's voice. And one of the ways that he, be, that he realized God would speak to him is that it was through the, the desires of his heart. And I think he shared that verse in Psalm 37 that says, if you delight in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And he said something really good. He said, I realized that verse wasn't about God giving me what I wanted. What the verse is actually saying, and I believe this, is he said, is if I learn to love what God loves, I'll get it. And so he said, in my life, as I began to tune into the voice of God and begin to live that that spirit-directed life, I would find that what my desires would go towards and what they would oppose would often be how God would guide me. And so one day he was going to return to, I think, Costa Rica or Puerto Rico or someplace uh, in Central or South America on this missions trip. And he was excited about it. He was going to go do ministry there. He had gone the year before. And all of a sudden, it's just like his heart went cold. Like he did not want to get on the airplane. Did not want to go. Just and had no desire for it. And he was shocked. He, he was thinking, there's no reason. Why do I feel this way? I need to go there. I'm called. I'm going to minister. I'm going to preach. And he could not shake it. He just, boom, I do not want to go. I do not want to go. So he said, I've, I've learned to, to hear the voice of the Lord through the desires of my heart, like I'm aligned with what he wants to do. Normally, God would want me to go and preach or whatever, but I, I don't want that. And he didn't get on the airplane, and the plane crashed, and 169 people died. And then everybody else's theology is like, what about the 169? Like, <laughs> what about them, you know? But that's another question for another sermon. But the, the story is kind of remarkable to me. Because he said, you know, I, I, I was following that, that impulse, that leading of the Lord. Again, not accidentally. You know, there's purposefulness here. The third truth about hearing God is this. God speaks in many different ways. Because often we're waiting for that audible voice. We're waiting for the sign in the clouds. But like that story with Elijah, he's on Mount Sinai and the Lord wasn't in the whirlwind. He wasn't in the fire. He was in that still small voice. So we need to become acquainted with the way God speaks to us, God can speak in so many different ways. How do we hear God? Let me give you a couple of points here, and we'll head out and watch the 49ers make it to the Super Bowl. Number one, we need to get into the Word of God. Reading the Bible is not just a good idea. It's a lifeline to tuning the radio of your heart and spirit into the signal, to where you recognize the signal. I don't know if any of you drive around at Christmas to look at Christmas lights, but the houses we really like are the ones where they have it tuned into the radio station. So you pull up and they say, hey, turn to 99.1 or whatever, and you tune it in and then it's like, you know, Manchester, what's that orchestra that rock and roll? Manchester Steamroller, Mannheim Steamroller, what's it called? The Man- Trans-Siberian Orchestra, okay. No, that's the wrong one. But anyways, but that's good too. You're right. We're both right. Just, you don't have access to my brain, but neither do I, so it doesn't matter. Um, At the Christmas lights show, and you tune into that radio station, and and that one band plays music, and it's this Christmas music, and all the lights are dancing, and the experience is amplified when you're tuned into the right station. Because I love, you know, some jingle bells, and some old classic Christmas songs, but until you get to the right station and you tune in to hear, it doesn't really line up and become clear. And what happens for many Christians is they're, they're, they want to hear God, but they're not tuning into the right radio station because they don't know the signal. When you read the Bible, when you read the Scripture, you, that is the number one way to know Him. Knowledge of Scripture is knowledge of Christ. We live in a day and age in which people have wanted to divorce divorce their their relationship with Jesus from the, from the structure of scripture and what they've ended up with is a Christ of their own making. See, if you look at your Christ, if you look at your Jesus and they look just like the social reformers on Twitter or Instagram, you probably have created Christ in, in another image. You've crafted an idol. You have to go back to the Christ of scripture. Amen? When you know the Christ of scripture, you know the real Christ and now you have you can tune in the radio of your spirit, of your heart, to hear the voice of God. You recognize the voice of your shepherd. When you, when you are filled with God's word, you will know his voice. It will resonate with you. I'm a musician, and, and we deal with resonance and tuning. And I have a piano at home, and the piano has all these strings in it. You know, it's a grand piano. It has all these strings. And, and as a musician, I, I can hear when one of the notes, one of the strings is not resonating as it is supposed to. And I couldn't tell you, oh, that frequency is supposed to be 334. I don't know that. I just know when it's off. And when I, when it, because I've read through the Scripture and I know God's Word and God's Word is in me, it dwells in me, when I hear something that comes from society or culture or even out of my own head and it doesn't resonate with Scripture, I know that's not God. That's out of tune. And so the number one way we hear God is to be a person of the Word, a daily person habit of being in the scripture will tune your ear, train your heart, all of that. Number two, we need to be quiet. We need to wait and we need to listen. We talked about this last week. Sometimes we just don't hear God because our life is just too loud. It's just too loud. And, and prayer sometimes is our last resort when it should be our first response. Psalm 131 in the message paraphrase says, I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. I love that line because that is indicative of what it takes to be someone who hears the voice of God. It requires the cultivation of a quiet heart. The word cultivate indicates intentionality. It indicates effort. It indicates time. It indicates attention, right? I have spent the time necessary to get my heart quiet like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now, hope always. For me, uh, the first five to 10 minutes of prayer on a daily basis and hearing God's voice is not prayer. It's quiet time. We call devotions quiet time. You'll hear Christians say, oh, how was your quiet time? Well, for me, my quiet time is really loud for the first 10 minutes. And it's really loud with all my to-do list, my fear, my worry, uh, all the things in my heart, mind. And I have to, I have to like, press that down and make that be quiet and then say, okay, I'm here, Lord. Like I've got all the insecurity and all that fear and all that. It's kind of squelched down, pressed down. I'm just here to, to meet with you. We need to be quiet. We need to wait. And we need to listen. And here's the thing is that when I listen for God, I don't listen for what I want to hear. I listen for, for what he is actually saying. Because sometimes I go to God and I want to pray about, I have an agenda when I show up at that meeting. Well, Lord, it's me again, and let me bring my list to you of what you need to do. Lord, you have a very busy day ahead of you. That's not really how it's supposed to go, is it? In the, in the order of the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus said, this is how you pray, it starts with, Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your name is number one, supreme, the ultimate. That's what it's saying. You know, God is first. So we come, we quiet ourselves, we wait and we listen. And often what God speaks is 90 degrees from what you wanted to hear or thought you would hear. Because a lot of times when I get quiet and I listen, what I hear God saying is, you're my son. Proud of you. I love you. And it's crazy how when God is with me, for me, my father, that I make better decisions and I do know what to do because he's formed character in me and wisdom and preparation and then I go and I make decisions as somebody who's secure and safe in the arms of, of my father versus someone who's seeking affirmation or whatever. It's just a totally different thing. Be quiet, wait, and listen. Number three, be aware of how God can speak specifically to you. We've talked about this, but just a couple of things. Not an exhaustive list, but a few things. He can speak through his word. He does speak through his word. He will speak through other people like your mother, right? He will speak through impressions He'll speak in a still small voice, speaks to your spirit, okay? That's something that we don't have time to develop fully what that even fully means today, but God will speak to your spirit. He is spirit, he speaks to our spirit. He speaks or moves or leads or guides through peace or lack thereof regarding decisions, directions. He speaks through visions and dreams. God will speak through an audible voice. Hasn't, I don't know that it's happened for me, but he has spoken to others in audible voice. A witness in our spirit uh, he speaks through events that open or shut doors of opportunity. Uh, there's a lot of different ways God will speak. How do we know it's Him? Well, there's a lot of different ways. One of the ways I would say is, is it leading you to sacrifice, surrender, submit? Is it leading you to grow in Christ-focused character? Um, that, that's probably God. Uh, it, does it align with His Word? Anything out of alignment with God's Word, it's not God. Um, God will speak through even our own thoughts. Oftentimes when God leads and guides, it sounds like your thoughts because God always works incarnationally. When he wanted to save the world, he becomes a man, steps into human flesh and saves the world. When he wants to speak, he often incarnates through our own thoughts or through the words of others or through a book you read or something like that. So just these these types of things, it just allows you to begin to cultivate that awareness. God is leading me, guiding me, speaking to me. Um, Begin to tune into his voice, but he can speak in all these different ways. Number four, practice obedience as we hear God speak. If he does say to do such, such a thing, then do it. And become a person who habitually follows the voice of the Lord rather than ignores or delays or so on and so forth. And then number five, the, the target, the goal, is that we would walk in relationship. That we could live out what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. This isn't speaking of getting down on your hands and knees and and saying 17 our fathers or something, that's not what Paul means here. He's talking about a conversational, dynamic, intimate relationship with God where we acknowledge the Lord in all our ways, where life is something you live with God, not for God, not to get away from God, but you live life with God. And, and you're walking with him in that restored relationship that he made you for because he wants to start a conversation with you that never stops and that conversation is the lifeline, the strength. Yes, he's going to guide you. We'll talk about that even more next week. But more importantly, he's going to form you. He's going to he's gonna change you. He's going he's to love you. He's going to hold you. He's going to move through your relationship with him. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our head and close our eyes today as we get ready to close. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to have that relationship with God. I want to have that conversational intimate relationship with God, but I have not placed my faith in Christ. This is the perfect moment to start the journey of following Jesus. And I say it that way, start the journey, because salvation happens in a moment and it's lived out in a lifetime. Jesus calls all of us to receive him as both Savior and Lord. And he invites us to follow him in a journey of discipleship. And so in this moment, you can pledge your faith, pledge your allegiance, say, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior, I repent of my sin and all of God's power and salvation power comes into your life at that moment, but he leads you on a journey of following him with your brothers and sisters inside the, the, the church, inside the household of faith. So if that's you today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to start my journey of following Jesus, would you raise your hand so I can see? Just lift it up, be bold, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, we're just going to pray with you, thank you so much, that's awesome. Just lift it up I want to follow Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Very good. All right, let's all pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving your life for me at the cross. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name, amen.